The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. If there's a renaissance man in the media world, one could look no further than a former NFL star who didn't see the field until he was a late teenager while living in Germany. Yes, Michael Strahan is many things and has been doing many things for a long time. Entrepreneur, personality, clothing line businessman, and media mogul. Our first guest is one of the co-hosts of Good Morning America. He also has a new clothing line called MSX by Michael Strahan. Here he is, the one and only Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan, he's wonderful. Soft as a razor, he's got his own clothing line. Michael Strahan, gonna make you laugh. We will talk to you about the NFL uh, it is great. It is great to see you. Always as always. You are the best. Uh, thank you. You just crushed me yet again at golf. What, this, we this. have fun. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. But I, I really thought I was going to lose. I was. Because you're good. More than anything, though, Michael Strahan is forever reinventing himself. And that started from an early age and just continues to roll on. The boy who grew up in Europe and played a limited amount of time with a football accepted challenges, took them on, owned them, then turned a post-NFL Hall of Fame career into a Hall of Fame business life. And if you know Michael, you're not surprised. In fact, if you know him, you also know he's pursuing the next opportunity, wherever that may be. From the clothing line to the men's facial products to working with Tom Brady to hosting Good Morning America to Fox NFL Sunday or the Pyramid Game Show, he's everything and everywhere. Take it away, Michael. Yes, yes, yes. We got a great audience here, just like we do. Yes, and I feel like I actually am hosting the show, and this is live, so we're going to please say hello to our contestants. There isn't much Michael Strahan can't do. He's proven that on the field. He played his entire 15-year professional career as a defensive end for the New York Giants of the National Football League, helping the Giants win the Super Bowl over the New England Patriots in his final season in 2007. Oh, and then there's his appetite for cars, which, like Strahan, is ever-evolving. Of course, he's always been a car guy, from the moment he learned on a Volkswagen GTI to some of his recent acquisitions in a garage that is in the multi-million dollar range. You quickly get the sense that if there's something Strahan wants, he'll get it. American television personality, journalist, former NFL player, and businessman. He was a force on the field, now he's a force off the field. Today, he tells us his story. Hello everybody, this is Michael Strahan, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. I'm going to start with this. Since leaving the NFL, it's been written that Michael Strahan has engineered a mini empire, tapping into the same set of skills that made him a Hall of Famer, starting with his discipline, his hunger to win, his determination, leadership, and throw in an ounce of endless curiosity and abundant empathy. I couldn't think of a better way to describe you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, whoever wrote that, um, I'm grateful for them too, but I really appreciate that. And it has been one heck of a ride from playing in the NFL to now doing what I'm doing. And I think that, you know, a lot of what I learned in the NFL definitely has transferred over to what I'm doing now and has really helped me. So 
whoever wrote that. And thank you for reading it. I appreciate it. <laughs> What's a day in the life like for you? Uh, I mean, depends. you only have 20 jobs. So. Yeah, I only have 20 jobs. It, it, it depends on the day, but um, I, this, is the, this is the hectic time of my, my, I guess, life because football season is here. So it's GMA during the week and leave on Fridays and fly to California and have Saturdays as my day off. And then I do NFL, Fox NFL Sunday every Sunday. And then you throw in a $100,000 pyramid and, and the production company and the other work that I do and clothing companies and skincare companies. And I, I yeah, I, when I think about it, it's overwhelming. But when I don't think about it, it's just kind of my life and I just go with the flow. Have you gotten used to it? Have you gotten used to the pace at this stage? Absolutely. Because I know you've, you, you crisscross the country and, and, and obviously during football season have to fit in some time zone issues that I think would probably make any any uh anyone a little a little tired <laughs> well you know the weird the weird thing is jason when i am here in new york i'm in bed pretty early because i'm up early every day but when i get to california on friday it's not as if i'm in bed on new york time i still go to bed on california time sure and i wake up on california time it's like no effect whatsoever and then I, i'll fly back here on a sunday and i'm up early again Monday, like it's it's it, it really doesn't affect me. I'm so used to it uh, going back and forth that it doesn't bother me one bit. And I actually enjoy it, especially in the wintertime in New York when the weather is cold. I think to myself, OK, on Friday, I'm going to be somewhere where the weather is a lot, lot, lot different than this for, sure. uh, for at least two or three days, which which makes the winter a little more bearable. You've said you you have long days, but you love them. And of those 20 jobs, you love each of them in their own way. And if you don't like something anymore at this point in your life, you're just not going to do it. Exactly. Exactly. If I don't like it, I just don't do it. And I've learned that if, you, if you're not going to enjoy it, it just becomes more of a hindrance on your life, no matter what the pay is, no matter, you know, what, what, you know, the, people may think, oh, it's great. And you're great at it. But if I don't enjoy it, I just don't want to do it. And, and so for me, it's been a, a balancing act of finding what I do enjoy, making it fit into my life and my schedule. So I still do have a life outside of doing that work. And I just like to know that when I go to work, I'm allowed to have fun. I don't like a job where it feels like a job. And I've been fortunate to have the um, ability to pick and choose, which, you know, that's a very fortunate thing to have. So I've been lucky and I've somehow picked and chosen the right things and they've come to me as well so morning program football game shows men's clothing line with men's warehouse are you helping to shape culture <laughs> oh i'm shaped by culture okay um, and then that's funny because the name of my company and my partner confidence is smack s-m-a-c sports music and culture exactly and um but we definitely we're shaped by culture and we try to you know uh, have our our do our part with it but I, I think that i just found inspiration when it comes to doing all these things from just what my life is and how every day is for me and i have nothing that i do that or it's nothing that i do in business there's nothing that i do in my life there's nothing what i do when it comes to the clothing or skincare or anything like that that it isn't organic to me and it isn't real and authentic to me i don't i'm not somebody who's doing something that i really just push out there to the public I do things because there's my heart's into it. And I, I think that has been to make the big difference for me. And I think that has helped people become more receptive 
to the work that I do. You've said too, you, you wake up happy and it's all about a mentality, mm -hmm. being happy and grateful. It's not putting on wet. I think you, you were on a, you were on a podcast last year. It's not about putting on wet pads anymore and getting, you know, rolled over by a 30, uh, by a 300 pound lineman or hitting that lineman a hundred times. But now, I mean, you're just having a great time. Yeah, I, I put everything into perspective because when I tell you I love football, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love it. I I miss part of it, and and I miss the challenge of it. I, I miss the challenge of that three hundred pound guy and trying to figure out how a little guy like myself is supposed to defeat him and and make these plays and the feeling of eighty thousand people screaming like you'll never get over that. That's what I miss. But I don't miss those wet pads in training camp two <laughs> times a day, twice, two a days, um, the extra running, the lifting, the, the way your body felt, the pain, the soreness. I don't miss any of that. And when I think about what I do now, I put it in perspective to think I've done a lot tougher things than I do now. I get paid to talk for a living. <laughs> what? If I'd have known this, I may have never played football. I just wouldn't develop my <laughs> speaking skill. But it has it has put everything into perspective for me that I go to work with joy. I wake up, and the only thing that I can control is my attitude. And I learned that playing football. Those days you don't want to be there. Those days you're tired and you beat up. You're like, the only thing I can control right now is my attitude. I can't quit. I wasn't, I wasn't raised to be a quitter by my parents. So you hang in there. You figure out a way to get around it and convince yourself that you love something sometimes, even when it's tough. And your dad, in fact, had a phrase when we go back. It was when, not if. Mm -hmm. When you could do something, not if you could do something. And in fact, he was the role model of that. He rebuilt his life by going back to college in his 30s so he could join the ROTC, became an officer, but he made a better life for all of you, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, my dad was the inspiration for, for everything. My dad was the, the, um, the one who pushed me. For, I was, grew up in Germany, I, right. as you did. You know, as you spent some time in Germany. And my, I didn't play football in high school. My dad said, hey, you, I'm going to send you to the States. You're going to play football. You're going to get a football scholarship. It wasn't as if, hey, I'm, you want to play? Let me send you to the States. Maybe you can get it. No, he just said everything with such certainty and I had just had such blind faith in whatever he was saying that if he said it, I believed it. And I realized in my 30s that my dad always said when. He never said if. And when I say my third, I mean like late 30s at the Super Bowl. We're getting ready to play the Patriots who were undefeated at the time. And my dad's like, you guys have already won this game. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, you know, it's already won it. Just the formalities. You have to go play it. But you've already won it. And that was just a positivity that he always exuded. And I, I was thinking this man is absolutely out of his mind. I've been watching a lot of tape. This team has beaten they're everybody. They're undefeated. Yeah, undefeated. And they whipped everybody. <laughs> and he was right. And 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 I, I look at that game and I think it was down. It came down to truly just believing in yourself and that you have the opportunity to make your ending of your story. If that was that was the ending of my football career. We had the opportunity as a team to make that ending whatever we wanted it to make. And you have an opportunity to make your life's ending um, or your life's path to what you want it to make. So it was about just focusing on the when, not the if. It may not happen when you want it, but it eventually it will happen if you have the, the, the attitude of when and you're willing to, to sacrifice and work for it. And in fact, that's what you told your teammates just before the last drive that ended up putting you guys ahead. 
Um, yeah. You know, trailing the Patriots in the fourth quarter and all yeah. kinds of theatrics that in, that ensued after that. Theatrics. But it became Ooh. when. Yeah. 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 When, if became it became when. And you know, and I, I did do that. 17-14 will be the final score. Believe it, it'll happen, the whole thing. But it was still up to those guys to go out there and make sure we got it done. And and you just see Eli throw the ball or get out of a sack and throw it to, to David Tyree, um, catches it off his helmet. Like two very unlikely guys to do what they did. It goes to show that in, in, in you can people can do extraordinary things in the moment if it's called for. And sometimes great things come from those you may at least expect it um, to come from. And it just taught me I'm never surprised by the ability of people if they if they really are committed to getting something done. And and that play and then the touchdown of Plastico, of course, and winning that Super Bowl completely changed the trajectory of my life in so many different ways. So without it, do I believe I'm sitting here talking to you? Probably not. Um but it, it, it definitely, definitely enhanced a lot of opportunities that came my way after I retired. Well, you had so many of those moments, Michael. Let's go back to Germany, too. You didn't even know the game of football. Yeah, I, I read something or Late heard bloomer. something. Well, right. But I also read something or heard something where not knowing the rules, it was you were instructed to just go out and get the guy with the ball. And that's, that's, a that's a simple well and, and not that i didn't know anything like i i watched it on tv i didn't quite know any techniques i didn't know all the rules but i knew the one thing get the guy with the ball that's that's what you do if you play defense <laughs> kind of kind of made the game very i said kind of simplified it probably a lot um made it a lot more simple than it really really is but that's what i loved about it though coming to the game in a lot of ways considered to be late compared to, you know, guys who grow up at five years old and they start playing football, is that it made me curious and it made me interested. So I was never a, a time in my 15 years with the Giants or even in college where I didn't feel like I could always work on something to get better, that I didn't see something that I was curious about learning, that I didn't see something that I wanted to dissect and figure out how to make it work in, 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 in my game. And I also was fortunate enough to play with great players, on um, defensive linemen from Keith Hamilton to Robert um, Rob, Robert to to, to um, the OCU Manure to um, um, uh, Justin Tuck, and when I was at the end of my career, OC and Justin were you know earlier stages of theirs. But I learned from them. It was so much fun to be an older guy, or well, older in football, 34, 35, 36, with these 20-something-year-old guys because I'm watching them do things that I hadn't seen anybody do with around me, and I was interested to learn how they did them so I can add them to my game. And they thought that they were learning from me, and I was really learning from them. So I think coming to the game late was fantastic. It made me interested in every day, everything that I did out there, and every day I was engaged. Well, and in many ways, too, you look at the twists and turns that have occurred in your own career, and you didn't want to really be in the States. I mean, when, when you were young and you were sent to the U.S. and you went back to Germany to rejoin your parents, went back to the United States to go to college, but you were kind of caught in this in-between world, right? Yeah. I was homesick, man. I was a yeah. 16-year-old kid. Missed my parents, had a little, had my girlfriend, you know, a little homesick, lovesick, whatever you want to call it. 
And um, yeah, I didn't want to be in the state. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to necessarily, you know, stay. And after my first semester in college, I told my dad, I am not going back. I am done. And uh, he looked at me basically and said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'll get a job. And he looked at me again and raised his voice a little deeper than mine and just said, what are you going to do? Which in turn made me realize that that point in time, and it's amazing, there are certain moments in my life I remember that have been changing points. And that was one of them where my mind just, just clicked. And I said, he's right. I can't stay here. He's not going to allow me to. I have to go out here and, and, and take care of myself. Can't depend on my parents to take care of me my entire life. I need to grow up. And this is my opportunity to go to school and do that. And I have to go to school. I have to play football. So if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to be the best at it. I have to do it anyway. So why shortcut something you have to go through anyway, just to be mediocre at it, do your best. And, and that's the way I've just approached everything in life since. So there was another turning point that occurred after football, and that's you're in and around the time where you're NFL on Fox and you're scared to death. And in fact, in that, in that first season, uh, you had a moment on set with Howie, who as a great teammate kind of saved you a little bit. But then you also had a conversation with a director who was, as you were thinking about doing different things, even outside of football or broadcasting, he gave you some advice. Let's talk about the Howie moment first. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the Howie moment, well, Howie and Tim, we were talking about this this past weekend, man. Not just this moment, how they saved me. That was not the comment. The moment was how they made, gave me a hard time. Because Howie, my first day on the show, um, they give me a fruit basket. That was my my gift for coming on. But they only gave me half a fruit basket because I had gotten divorced. So they figured she was entitled to the other half. <laughs> that was <laughs> we were talking about that, which was funny. Um, then we were talking about how how he asked me a joke. He said, there is a plane that crashes on the U.S.-Canadian border. So where did they bury the survivors? Now, Jason, you got to realize it's my first show. I am so scared and nervous. I'm like, ah, I guess they bury them in the U.S. No, it is. we don't bury survivors. I'm like, why are you guys doing this to classic me? Classic joke. Yes, a classic joke. But I've got to say, the first three weeks of doing this show, I really um, wanted to quit. I wanted to go back to football. I said, this is a lot harder than it looked on TV. And I wanted to go back to football. And I remember giving my thing. I have three points. And I made my first one. I made my second point, And I forgot my third. So I've learned never. So I got three things. Never. Just, just talk. Um, and so I forgot the third. So instead of Say, oh my God, I forgot. I just fake coughed. And like I was choking. And Howie came in and picked up, did his thing, and they said, Are you okay? And then I finished my comment after that because it came back to me. And once that happened, I said, I can actually do this job. You got to just think on your feet, be yourself. And they didn't know that I was fake choking, but Howie and those guys came in and they saved, saved me. And it is such a brotherhood to do that show. It was such a pleasure, so much fun to do that show. I've never laughed so much at work in my life. I've never had so much fun. And it's the most unselfish, true team, true love of coworkers and friends that I've ever been around. 
And I'm, I'm just fortunate that Fox and these guys allowed me to be a part of it because it's a very exclusive show and very exclusive club of who comes in and out of that place because it's, it's been an incredible show for so long. And I think they're afraid to mess it up, but I'm glad they chose, they, they took a chance on me and I didn't mess it up. And the director conversation, you were thinking about acting. You were afraid that folks were only going to see you as a football player. Yeah. And he said, what to you? This was a Hollywood guy. Yeah. He told me, he said, well, if you're, he said the only person, they'll only see you. You're worried about people only seeing you as a football player when you go into these things, but they'll only see you like that. If that's the only way you see yourself. Completely made me realize that you have to get out of the mindset of just, oh, I'm just an athlete. If you see yourself as only an athlete, no one else can see you as more than just an athlete either. And he completely helped me change my, um, just the whole way I mentally approached my career um, in anything that I've done. Because even though you play football and, and people do different things in life as a career, there we have different facets to what we can do and, and I think we shortchange ourselves because it's almost as if you play football and that was good enough and you were great at that stop like no we we have other things that we're able to do and and I was 36 years old at the time still young I don't want to live in Florida sit in a house every day and play golf and do nothing else I'm too I, I want to do more and I just found that I was so interested in so many other things that his advice really gave me the confidence to to jump into some rooms and jump into some businesses and try different things that I wouldn't have tried before and not worry about what people saw me, how how they saw me. And you get to Good Morning America and you call it the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Yeah. So just well, on that now, theme. Now I'm in the rhythm of it. it took me eight years. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> now I'm in the rhythm of the show and I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. It is, it is, you know, it's tough because it, it covers a wide, uh, uh, the color, uh, that's a big variety of things um, from what's going on around the world to what's happening locally to um, you name it, we cover it. And, and but I think it's, it's opened up my eyes to the world in so many different ways and so many different things that I have to cover now that I was never interested in before, but I find that I have a big interest in now. And it's almost as if you don't know something if you can't see it. And now that I'm on the inside and I can see all these things, it has really opened my eyes to a totally different world that I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, to be there because I absolutely love covering stories and doing things that aren't easy, just aren't about sports, just aren't about, you know, um, pop news. It's like, I love covering things that really make a difference in the world and in lives and really tell a rich story. So, um, it's it's been a joy to be there. You love it because it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, the, talking football was a challenge, but once I did the fake coffin and I got through week three, I was good. Um, when I did live with Kelly, that was a challenge at first. But you know, once you get to the rhythm of kind of being yourself in front of a camera, and not worrying about what anybody thinks, and just kind of being human, um, learning how to craft and tell a story, then that be fell into like, okay, you know, this is this is easier. Um, but GMA has always been a challenge, always will be a challenge. It's never the same thing every day. And that's what I love about it. It gives me something. I'm excited when I wake up in the morning. Even though I'm up early, I don't 
complain. I don't get to work and go, why am I here? I get to work and I'm excited to be there. And I look forward to what we're covering. And I look forward to sitting at that desk with Robin and George, because I realize how much of an honor it is to actually sit at that desk. And now you're actually into clothing and skincare. I mean, Michael Strahan Apparel is available at Men's Warehouse now, nationwide. And the, the, you have a brand new skin and shave line, Michael Strahan Daily Defense at CE at CVS stores nationwide. You're just continuing to branch out. I mean, this goes back to the 20 jobs thing I said to you at the beginning. I know, I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it all started, but it all started um, with our suit line which started uh, seven, eight years ago when I was just, I was working at live. I'm wearing a suit every day. I'm at yeah, Fox wearing a suit. I'm literally in a suit six days a week. And it's like, okay, I am sitting here wearing these suits. Um, and I, I love fashion. So why am I wearing someone else's things when I can do this myself? And in a lot of ways feel like I can do it better at a price point that works better for the people who, who kind of are my audience. And that's how the suits came about with an original deal. We started with JCPenney, which we're still at JCPenney as well. So um, did that, did not know how it was going to go, but it has, it was a success, a big success. Um, pandemic hit, obviously, five years later, we had to pivot and we were able to pivot into our athleisure and work leisure gear, which was a success also. And now back to the suits and men's warehouse. And it's been even bigger than we expected there. So it's just been a nice um, business for us and a fun business for me because I love fashion. I love being in the meetings. I love picking the fabrics. I love the designs. I love changing this and that, the things that fit me. And then we branched out into skincare because it's another thing. I, I, being on TV and you know just the grit and the grime of living everyday life. Uh, men don't have a routine. Men think that taking care of your skin, skin care seems to be a chore. And I'm here to say, no, it's not. You can have great skin and have a nice routine that doesn't take you um, any more time than it does to brush your teeth. So um, I just want to, and I think it's very, it's very organic to me. Like I said earlier, I don't try to do anything that doesn't fit and that I don't use myself. And I think that's been the differentiator for me and my businesses that have helped them be successful. The fact that people can look at it they can try and they know it is truly, truly me. So I am Michael Strahan. I'm daily defensing myself every day with my skincare. <laughs> Believe it. I love it. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with media personality and NFL Hall of Famer, Michael Strahan. And to see my interview with Michael, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 65 episodes. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM business radio welcome back i'm jason stein in detroit now the continuation of my conversation with media personality and nfl hall of famer michael strahan and to see my interview with michael go to the cars and culture youtube channel please like and subscribe to see more than 65 episodes i want to go back to the giants when you're with the giants you bought your parents a cadillac sts <laughs> first car yeah first I car the cadillac sts and I bought myself a GMC Typhoon. And a Toyota Supra Turbo. And a right? Toyota Supra. Typhoon first, 
C, C, a STS for my parents, a GMC Typhoon, and then in 1994, I bought myself a um, Toyota Supra um, Turbo with the big spoiler on the back. I wish I still had that car to this day. <laughs> you just roll around New York in that? I would roll around New York in it every day. I mean, those those two were my everyday cars. And um, now I look back at, at those and I go, wow, how lucky was I to have those two as my first car that I ever bought and my everyday cars, but they were fantastic. I, I've always been a car guy. Growing up with my brothers in Germany and we're on the school school bus and we're in the car with my parents and a nice car drives by and we're like, that's my car. No, I, I picked it first. Like we're arguing with each other. We bought every car magazine you could imagine if it, if it was a German, if it was, a, if it was an English. And my mom would say, if you didn't spend so much money on magazines, you probably could afford a car. Right now. <laughs> and she she may have had a she probably was right. <laughs> she had a point there. She had a point there. Well, and you're and you're you're growing up. This is I mean, what happened with uh, my kids. You're 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 growing up in the Autobahn is in your backyard. Thank I you. I mean, you have the pinnacle of of performance and you know where cars are meant to be driven. I mean, mm-hmm. not necessarily up on the you know the upper west side, but I mean you know, from Mannheim to Munich. Yeah. And that was the thing. I mean, you had the Autobahn, Mannheim to Munich, Mannheim to Frankfurt, Mannheim to Kaiserslautern, Mannheim, anywhere. You get on those and you go. And and I love that. But, you know, people think the Autobahn, I never, I, I see driving here. I always felt like driving here is more dangerous. I felt more unsafe here driving than ever on the Autobahn where the speed limits were limitless, I guess, if you want to put it that way, because of the rules that everyone followed the rules and you didn't get a license because you hit a certain age and, um, and, and, and they gave you a license because of that you actually had to go to school that you had to pay for. And you had to drive a stick shift and you had to parallel park and you had to do all these real world things that it just wasn't easy. So when everyone got on the road there, everyone understood the rules and everyone obeyed the rules. So I've always loved driving on the Autobahn. I've always loved going fast here. I don't have that that luxury unless you go to a racetrack, but I still love my cars. The ones that go fast, I just don't go as fast with them on the regular roads here. And you, your first car that you learned to drive on was a German car. It's the same car that I learned to drive on. Yeah, Volkswagen? GTI. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Volkswagen GTI. I still, I still love a good rabbit. I still, <laughs> I still, I see a rabbit. I just smile. Brings back such good memories, such good memories. You were, um, I, I think there have been a couple of YouTube um, videos that are out there that talk about the collection that that you have now. What do you like that's in your collection? Oh What's man, I like stuff? all of it. That's why I have it. The problem is, I, I at this point, I'm, I'm I'm kind of evolving it right now. I feel I think I'm going to probably get a, out of a lot of things that I bought that I've always been kind of just as a kid growing up that you've always wanted and to wanted to have. Yeah. Yeah. That you wanted to have and and probably get out of some of those just to get that one special instead of having many have one special one. I've never just had one car, but I mean that one special that takes up some of the other ones that I bought just because I always wanted them as a kid. But what I love right now, you know, the car I've had the longest in my collection um, is my, uh, well, one is longer in terms that I owned it before and bought it back. But the other one, as far as continuous ownership, is a SLR McLaren Roadster, which I love. And I've had that car for, you know, 15 years or so. Um, 722 edition. No, not the 722. Just the, the SLR Roadster. 
Um, oh, the SLR Roadster. Okay. Yeah. So, which I love, and I love the 722. Trust me. Uh, but but I bought this car 15 years ago, and I'm just I adore it. I love it. It's so much fun to drive and comfortable for me. And so I'm always partial to that. I walk into the garage and I look and I keep thinking, what should I get rid of? And then there's so many I look and go, I kind of like, oh, there's a reason. And there is a reason behind everything. So I think between that, between the second oldest, I've longest I've had is my LM002. Lamborghini. Yeah, Lamborghini. The original Lambo Rambo, Rambo Lambo, whatever they call it. Lamborghini and, truck. <laughs> yes. And so I'm partial there. You're not going to find a V. You can find a V12 truck now. I mean, um, uh, Ferrari's about to come out with one, but you don't find any that are five-speed sticks and 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 just that presence that it has. It's nothing like it. Um, so I, I I love that. I have a, a Ford GTX one, which I enjoy um, a, a lot. And I, what else? You know, God, I can keep on going. Porsche Carrera so many, GT. What's that? A Porsche Carrera GT. Oh, I had that, and I sold it. I just sold okay. that a little bit over uh, about a year ago, and now I want to kick myself in the head for selling it because it was a bad. I I sold it at what I thought was a great time, but it didn't turn out. It wasn't such a great time because now the price will continue to escalate. But I really enjoy driving that car. It's nothing closer to driving. I I would feel like a street car that sounds and feels F one ish in a lot of ways. Um, it was a little tight at times. Like I could drive it for a certain amount of time and I had to take a little break, but I absolutely adored that car. It's such a beautiful car. And, and that's a car that um, of all the ones that I've gotten rid of, I, I felt like I let that one get away when I shouldn't have. So you, you just cut out when you said that you sold it. Can you, can you just repeat that line for me? Yeah, I, I, I sold it and I want to kick myself in the, in the face every time I think about it because <laughs> it, it was a car that I loved. When people say, what was your favorite car to drive? And that was it. And I don't know why I sold it. Like, what was I thinking? It was a, it probably, you know, it was a little tight and I didn't drive it as much as I probably should have. But every time I drove it, it gave me so much joy, like a smile on your face because the the sound, there's no other car that sounds as incredible as the the Carrera GT. And um, I absolutely love and adore that car. And maybe one day I'll get another, who knows. When you and I bumped into each other earlier this year, I told you that we had just had Guy Berryman on uh, the mm -hmm. program, uh, bass player for Coldplay, and the art director of a magazine that you admire a ton. When it arrives, you look at Road Rat Magazine and you go, I don't know when it arrives, but it's here and I love it. Yeah. You know what? I tell you, I'm a big Coldplay fan, by the way. So when I heard that guy with a big car guy, I freaked out. I freaked out. Friend put us in touch, told me about Road Rat. I subscribed to Road Rat. And like you, I'm like, I don't know when it's coming, but when it when it gets here, it's more than worth the wait because it is so well done. Yeah. Um, it is so that just everything from the articles to the photography, just everything is so well done. You can tell it's done by someone who loves cars. It's not done. I don't feel as something like a commercial magazine to get 2 billion subscribers to. I think it's done by someone who loves car cars, who's making something that, that of course they want people to buy it, but I think they also, um, it's something that they would want for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and, and beautiful so copy. I'm, I'm happy that guy has done it. I'm I'm a big fan of his, um, at his career, but I'm also probably a bigger fan of what he does with his cars because he has a, a great collection himself.
Is there something I asked to Hani Jones this? Is there something with NFL players and vehicles? Like the, those two just go hand in hand, don't they? Athletes and vehicles. Well, I think it's it's weird. I think certain guys drive them because it creates a certain status, I guess, or the way that they want to be seen. For me, it's always been because I just love cars. So I've always had unusual cars. When I played for the Giants, you would come to the stadium and I would have the the LM002 sit in the parking lot. I mean, I would have um, Aston Martins and like old school Volante Vantages and other things that you usually don't see in the NFL parking lot because usually it's the new this or the new that. I always had classics. And yeah, but I think there's definitely a thing between athletes and, and vehicles because it's like a, a status symbol in a lot of ways. But I know for me, it's always kind of been that child who always would be on the school bus hollering, that's my car. And this gave me, now I have the opportunity to actually say, that's my car. And, 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 but, you know, it doesn't come without hard work, obviously. So if we cull down the collection, if we eliminate the things that you, you know, maybe you always wanted, now you've had, what do you really want? What do I really want? Stop, Mr. Stray. I got, I got a few cars coming that I ordered that I really, um, I really want. Um, one being the um, the um, FCG 004S Glickenhaus center seat. I ordered mine with a manual transmission. Uh, so I can't wait for that. That's going to be fun. Kind of the, the American uh, McLaren F1 experience. Uh, I also ordered a SSC Tatara, fastest wow. car on the planet, which yeah. I actually drove it at Monticello Racetrack. And I, I went there because a friend of mine, Jason Castriota, who designed for Pina Farina. He also designed Glickenhaus's P4, P5 Ferrari. He designed this car um, um, for Jared Shelby. And I went just to support him and to drive the car at the track. And I got out of that thing with the biggest smile on my face because I, I love supercars, obviously, but I feel like a lot of times, a lot of supercars all start to feel the same. You know, the paddles, it gets a little boring, gets a little monotonous. Uh, but with that car, I was just absolutely blown away. And I hadn't had a smile on my face like that in a modern car in a long time. Um, so I can't wait for that. I'm 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 turning. I'm a big, big Koenigsegg fan. Now. I was going to ask you. So we sat with Christian at uh, Pebble Beach uh, with his vehicle that he just created, which oh, is amazing. 50th, 50th birthday present yeah. to himself. Well, you know, the amazing thing is I drove the first one, the first one in that model. Yeah, I drove it. It was, the only, it was the only one in the country at the time. And this was, man, this was years ago when it was, Dave Koenigsegg was, no one really knew them. It was the first model he made. I knew about them, obviously, from all the magazines I bought. My mom told me I shouldn't have bought. And so I, I, I get an opportunity to go out and test drive one that was for sale. I drove that car and said, this car is going to kill somebody. <laughs> it, was, it was a manual. It was yep. so fast. I don't even know if the traction control was on at the time. This thing was squirrely. And I love how far he's come. And I love how innovative he is. He's very innovative, right? So yeah. in, the, in the new, the 50th birthday gift to himself, it's a manual or stick. What? <laughs> I mean, the single the single clutch transmission, like, like the transmission just- Automatic or stick. Automatic, yeah. yeah. It does both, yeah. Yeah, this guy is the automatic in it does the manual transmission. Yeah. But then it's it's really amazing what he has been able to build and just the the cars are beautiful. I, I'm a big Koenigsegg fan, obviously. And I at the Valhalla, 
the Aston Martin, have that on order too. Um, Wonderful. So uh, quite a few things I'm waiting to see and check out, and hopefully they're as good as I picture they'll be. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple more subjects, and then we'll let you go on to your 20th job. <laughs> um, religion of sports. Yeah. Uh, you are in with Tom Brady, uh, co-founded, uh, and uh, Gotham Chopra. Um, where is where is that these days? What what progress are you making? And tell me a little bit about it. Well, religion of sports. It actually Gotham and I sat down in a in a in a, in a cafe, not even a cafe, like a diner in L.A. years ago, and you know, uh, uh, Gotham is the son of Deepak Chopra, so he's very spiritual. And we were talking about how the intersection of sports and religion, like uh, the cathedral is the stadium, the fans are the parishioners, the demigods are the athletes, you know, the, the priests are the coaches, you know, all those different. And how it all, how sports really, like like religion gives people hope or, or you know, and, and it's something that they lean on in despair. It's something that takes their mind off of everything and kind of lets them focus for a certain amount of time. Uh, and, and so we came up with religion of sports and how sports is so important to culture and all just not to hear we think about our few sports, but there's so many sports around the world that we've been able to dive into. And but we've created um, we've won Emmys with the show, which is with the with the production company, which has been great with Tom versus time, Steph versus the game. We did the Simone Biles doc um, around her and, and the Olympics and everything that she went through, which we didn't know. Was she was gonna you know bow out of a lot of it because of her mental health issues and but just to be so close to all these things and and to produce an incredible um, content we got a Conor McGregor documentary coming out um, and it's just been fantastic to be honest with you we we have a, a great board we've raised um, uh, a lot of money and we've been doing very very well and and we have. So many fun, creative projects that are that are on in the pipeline right now, and we're just looking forward to continuing to build that business. And and you know, you got to imagine when you're in business with a guy like Tom Brady, everything Tom does, it's like got to be the best of the best. And I love that he operates like that because that's the way I operate. So um, between Gotham, myself, and Tom, we've been able to build one heck of a business and 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 have some great partners to help us along the way. You still shake your head when you think about what Tom's been able to do. I mean, oh, yeah. I know he's I know he's a great partner and you've said he's a great guy, but he's yeah. also a great player. Yeah. <laughs> At 45 years century. old. Yeah. I mean, 45 years old, you get out of the bed and stuff aches just because you woke up, you know? So I don't know how he is playing football and taking hits and moving around and just to practice and that. I always physically I knew I could have played a few more years of football. Physically, I could have. Mentally is where I knew I was done. I was hmm. tired. I was tired of uh, pregame speeches, and I was tired of taping my fingers and 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 my ankles and practice, and just tired. Mentally, it wears you down. But to do it for over twenty years at the high level in which he's done it, I I, I can't imagine the, the the mental strength that he has. And I know when he's done with football, he's going to apply that towards religion and sports and, and anything else that he does. And there's no way, shape, and form in my mind he's not going to be successful because this is a guy who's going to work and do whatever it takes to, to be so. But my hat's off to him. 45 years old, still playing football? Forget about it. 
Does he end up in the big game at the end of the year again? They got a good shot. I mean, they had a tough game last week with New Orleans, but New Orleans always seemed to have their number, and this time they yeah, kind they of got over the hump. But I think in the NFC, they have a very, very good ch- shot of doing it. I don't think anybody has necessarily jumped out and said, hey, we're here and we, we're better than the Bucs. Uh, watching watching some game. Philadelphia looks really good. I hate I hate hate to say that. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say that really got um, out of your mouth. <laughs> but you know, my my Giants. Who knows? Maybe we build a little bit more confidence and we keep on winning, and we'll all be happy at the end of the year too. So, but I, I think right now Tampa looks like the team to beat um, in the NFC and in in the um, AFC. At, I think Buffalo just so, so dominating it, that it, it's kind of scary to see. Uh, and it would be very disappointing if we don't see them in the big game. Can you imagine what happens to that town if that team wins? Oh, you know, I would, Bruce Smith was like my 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 like the guy I looked up to the most, and the guy who made me ride the stairmaster because that's what Bruce Smith did. I mean, I, everything that Bruce Smith did, and now he's he's such he's a good friend, a great friend, and I feel bad like you make four in a row and you don't win one. Yeah. And then I look at it and think to myself, there's also a sense of, of, of joy and pride that they should all take because making four Super Bowls in a row, unheard of. You will not see that again. You just won't. And to be able to do it four years in a row, win or lose, is a major accomplishment in itself. So um, if that town wins one finally, it's gonna, they're going to blow the roof off of it. I may have to go to Buffalo just to celebrate with them, jump through some tables out there in the tailgate parking lot like they do. I was going to say, there won't be enough tables in the city of Buffalo. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, get into the table business, man. You can make a lot of money in Buffalo. When you think about what you want to do after all this, and and I saw something where you said that if you were younger, you'd probably be an actor or a movie star. And But you did say, I don't necessarily want to be 70 years old and still trying to hustle TV or even 50 or 60 years old trying to hustle TV. You and I are the same age. We're separated by 17 days. Yep. So um, what do you think you're going to end up doing? What, how, how long does this go, Michael? I don't know. I, I, I still You're having fun. It, you're having, you're having a I, You know what it is? I don't, I don't think I want to be 60, 70 years old still. I, at some point, I want to wake up when I want to wake up, and I want to go on a trip. And I want to be on the trip for a week or two weeks and go, oh, man, you know what? I'm actually enjoying this. I'm going to stay another week. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, in other words, I don't want to be on anybody else's schedule telling me when I can and can't go. I had that in football. I have that too. I have it in life. Like Everybody kind of has that. Um, I'm not unique in that sense. But I do think that at some point I just want to go, okay, my kids are good. I'm good. It's time to just relax, slow down, and kind of just take life in and, and, and kind of enjoy and appreciate all the work that I've put in for the last 30 years or so. But I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but I also, I want to play more golf. I want to drive my cars more. I just want to kind of, you know, chill. Well, last time I was talking to you, you, uh, you, you were actually coming off the golf course. And I forgot to ask you what you shot that day and whether it was any good. Oh, it must have been 65 or something. Like that. <laughs> sure I'm sure it must have been. Low. I must have gone low. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't I didn't ask you about one thing. A game show host. Ah. How has that been? 
that has been so much fun, man. Because... I watched the pyramid when I was growing up. I watched uh-huh. the pyramid all the time. I love, but it was only called the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid, yeah. by the way. Inflation, Inflation now. Inflation. <laughs> we had to kick it up, man. But, you know, I, I watched Pyramid growing up, and then when Sony came to us about partnering with them and producing the show, um, and me hosting, and I said, "Are you sure you got the right guy?" I'm uh, Dick Clark did Pyramid, you know. And it's like, yeah, we want to do it with you. And I watched a lot of Dick Clark. I went back and got old episodes and watched. And I know they had done different versions of it since Dick Clark, but I just think that he was the quintessential host. He was just so amazing at it. And by watching him, you know what I found, I figured out, is that Pyramid of the Game Show of the Game is the star. Um, It's not for me to try to overpower the game to say, well, you know, I'm Michael and I'm here and I'm your host. No, no, no. I just need to guide. You know, the game is the star. The word play is the star. The other celebrities and their contestants, they're the stars. I'm just lucky to be here. That's how I look at it. And I really am lucky to be there. And I don't know the words. I, I know the categories, but I don't know the words. So when the word pops up on the screen, like you're at home watching, I'm watching it too. I'm playing along. And yeah, half the time I'm going, how did they not get that? Come on, you got to be smarter than that. <laughs> and you find out that some people surprise you and in good ways, and some people surprise you in bad ways. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of fun and we give away a lot of money that that is life-changing to a lot of the contestants who come and play for us. You going to do American Bandstand next if they bring that back? Hey, <laughs> I, can, I can groove and dance. And you know how to do that. Back. Why not? Not a bad idea. Thank you. You'll be getting a producer credit. <laughs> Final thing, uh, Smack's uh, motto, hustle like you're broke. Yep. Boy, if that doesn't say it all. H-L-Y-B. And um, that's that's how we operate. We hustle like we're broke. And, and it's, not, it's not, in a lot of terms, it's not even the financial part. Like I look now and I go, okay, could I retire and sit? Yeah, I could do all that stuff. But I, oh, I, I love building. I love teams and we hustle like we're broke because I have a great team of people who I work with who I can't, would not be able to do anything without them. And I want them to have something, you know, I I want, I, I, I want them to have the joy that I have coming to work. I love it that they're, I'm able to, to kind of watch them develop and grow and, 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 and just be who they were meant to be. So to me, hustling like you're broke is more than just hustling for me and any for finances past that. It's it's like hustling to just be a part of valuable part of the team and, and showing everybody my appreciation for them by hustling as hard as I can. And I know that they're hustling even harder than me behind the scenes in ways that I don't see to make me look good. So I'm very appreciative to my team and, and everybody. And HLYB is kind of a tribute to them. Hustling like you're mowing lawns to buy that BMX bike. Yep. Still got that bike. Um, that, you know, I had to pay for half that bike. I still got it. Reminds me that no one owes you anything. No one's going to give you anything. If you want it, you got to work for it. Learned that from my dad. Michael Strahan, thank you so much for being on Cars and Culture. Jason, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks again to media personality and NFL Hall of Famer Michael Strahan for being my guest today. And to see my interview with Michael, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel, where you can like and subscribe to see more than 65 episodes. 
And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram, at Cars and Culture SXM, and on Twitter, at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road.